You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. So I'm reading to you from 2 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 9. This is what it says. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route for seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor... For the animals that followed them. So I want you to get the picture. These three kings have come together to form one army, and they're going to march down together to go into battle with the king of Moab. But now they've completely run out of water in the desert for their soldiers as well as their animals. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about what to do in life when you feel like you've run out. What do you do when you have run out? Now, Pastor Matt was talking to you about this massive hike that we took starting September 27th of last year. At the beginning of the year, last year, 2020, COVID had just hit, and my youngest daughter, Anna Lee, she's an avid hiker, and she said, Dad, my dream for the last five years has been to do the Arizona Trail, and I'm getting married next year. If I don't do it this year, I'll never do the trail, but I can't find anyone to do the trail with me. So I'm going to do it all by myself unless nobody does a trail with me. Now, let me tell you about the Arizona Trail. It's 800 miles starting at the border of Arizona, uh, Utah, and weaving in and out of Arizona, going down to the border of Arizona, Mexico, 800 miles, 117,000 feet of elevation gain. So there's longer trails like the Appalachian Trail, the PCT, but there's no, there's no trail that's more rugged than the Arizona Trail. Only 100 people do this trail worldwide every year. So this is not for the faint of heart. Now, I hate hiking. I hate it with all my heart. But my daughter said, I'm going to do it all by myself unless someone does it with me. So guess who wound up training to go with her on the Arizona Trail? Yours truly. So we started training in March of last year, 10, 12 miles every single day. Even in the summer when it's 110 degrees out, we trained. And uh, September 27th came around, and we started uh, the Arizona Trail at the border of Arizona and Utah. And you asked, why would you do this? I said, Annalie, if we're going to just kill ourselves for a year, we're going to do this for a great cause. We're going to raise a million dollars for the work up in Colorado City that rescues ladies from polygamy and human sex trafficking up in that city. You guys support that work as well. Thank you very much. And so we said that's going to be the the goal. And so we took off on the 27th. And they're going to show a little video as I talk over the video right now. We went down up to Kaibab National Forest into the Grand Canyon and down through the beautiful Grand Canyon. We're sleeping out every single night, carrying our water, carrying our tents with us. And when we got to the Grand Canyon, it was going to be a 27-mile hike from North Rim all the way up the South Rim. We couldn't stay down below in the, in the canyon because of COVID regulations. And so we're going to do it all in one day. And our goal was to do 40 days, 20 miles every single day for 40 days. It was a very aggressive goal. So we get two miles from the very top of the Grand Canyon. Look at this next video. And believe it or not, I get a kidney stone. And I'm sidelined, and I can't get up. I cannot move at all. And um, my face looks like it's ash, you know, like like I'm going to just die there. And my wife, she's at the top of the canyon waiting for us. She runs down two miles, Angel, and she was like an angel to me. And she gives me this bottle of water that was glowing blue. It kind of looked like, you know, the movie The Water Boy, when they brought his little water thing, you know, at the end. 
And when I drank that, man, I came to life. I actually passed the kidney stone right on the trail. I was able to get up and finish it. Went right to the emergency. They pumped me with IVs for about a day and a half. The next day, right back on the trail, 20 miles. So we, we did this every single day. I lost my toenails. My feet were bleeding. I hate hiking. Did I mention that at all? I hate hiking. And this was getting so old every day, setting up your tent, waking up, knowing that the next day, 20 more miles. I'm getting depleted. I'm getting angry because my, my, my daughter, Annalie, hikes like this. I kept telling her, please slow down, honey, please. Okay, Dad. She never slowed down. She hikes faster uphill than downhill. Drove me crazy. Well, I kept saying, please slow down. We, we, we come to the, about the 500th mile mark. It's about 23 days, and we're going down a very steep canyon. And um, she had her headphones on. She really wasn't paying too much attention. And she put her hand on this big boulder, and she let her feet down, like dropping down from the stage. And when her feet hit the ground, I, I followed behind and put my hand on that same boulder. And the moment I did, and this is like an 8,000-pound boulder, it moved. And she's standing right below it. And my feet hit the ground. I just instinctively, as any dad would do, just pushed her out of the way. And it caught me in the backside. And it slid down on top of me 20 feet. And it broke my femur. It broke my hip. It snapped my forearm in half. And uh, broke three of my ribs, and there I am laying in the Superstition Mountains on the side. I, I just couldn't move. So she hiked up 30 minutes, and by the way, she had to watch this, her dad disappear under this boulder as it just grinded me down the mountain for 20 feet. And she didn't know if I was going to live or die. She didn't know how bad the injuries were, but she hiked up 30 minutes and, uh, with our satellite phone and made the call. The helicopter came, dropped the big line down, put me in a body bag and lifted me up out of the canyon, took me to the trauma center, 12 days in there, and uh, boy, the story went viral all across America. Inside Edition, CNN, they all carried major stories on this. And what the devil intended for evil, God used for good because so much money came in. We raised $2.4 million for the work of God in Colorado City. So praise the Lord for that. And, and here I am, what is it, about, about eight months later, Back on my feet, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, almost fully recovered. Man, God is so good. God is so good. But the point I want to make, I'm taking a long time to tell a story, but the point I want to make is three days prior to that accident, we were going through a place called the Matazels. Matazels were three days with no water. We had to carry all of our water. And our first climb of the day was a 5,000-foot climb. I said, Annalie, please slow down. Please slow down. Okay, Dad, I'll slow down. Well, within a mile, she was just gone. And we get to the top of this mountain. I look over this desert forest, and she, I, I can't find her. She's gone. And so she has the gut hook app, and so I don't know where to go. There's trails everywhere. I'm getting madder and madder. I can't find her. I feel like I'm lost out in this forest. Well, finally, she figures out that she's left me, and she turns around and comes back. When I saw her, <laughs> I gave her a piece of my mind that I couldn't afford to lose. You know what I'm talking about? You think you're so cool. T big deal. 21-year-old girl beating a 51-year-old man. Oh, aren't you cool? When I was your age, I would whip your butt on this trail. I want you to know that you wouldn't even have a chance. I'm just giving it to her. And she's very sensitive. And she, you know, she, she starts crying. I didn't care. I said, just, I don't want to see the rest of you. Just go, you know. And I learned something about myself on this trail. I learned that when I'm depleted, I don't make very good decisions. Yeah. 
When I've run out, I'm not in a very good place of life. This is what's happening in this story. Uh, the king of Moab is supposed to pay the king of Israel a certain sum of money. We'll call it a tax. So he decides one day, I'm not going to pay the tax anymore. And so the king of Israel forms a coalition with the king of Judah and Edom, and they're going to march down their armies together as one and give the king of Moab a bully beatdown until he agrees to pay what he owes. And on the way to this battle, this whole story is in the context of a battle, they run out of water, not just for their soldiers, but also their animals. Now, how many of you know that when you're in a battle in the desert, water is pretty important? But now they've completely run out. Can I ask you, think about what is it that you run out of today? What have you run out of? Maybe it's resources or money. You find yourself depleted today. Or maybe you run out of joy in your life. Or maybe you run out of emotional will. Maybe your get up and go has gotten up and gone. And you have no more strength to go on. I want to know, what have you run out of in life? You see, I believe one of the ways that Satan tries to pick us off spiritually is to try to make us depleted or thirsty. Because when you're thirsty, you'll do some crazy things to try to quench that thirst. When you're, when you're thirsty for a relationship, sometimes you'll be tempted to defy your, your greatest values in order to quench that relational thirst. When you're thirsty for money or resources, sometimes you'll illegitimately try to get money to solve that relational or rather that financial thirst. You know, do some crazy things sometimes. I heard a story about a guy one time who uh, he'd run out. He'd run out of his relationship. His wife left him. His kids walked away from him, lost his business. So he goes to a bar, and he's going to drink his worries away. And he's in there doing something stupid, getting drunk. He gets in his car. He gets in the freeway. He begins to drive home. He's all over the place. A police officer pulls him over and says, sir, you're drunk. Would you get out and walk the line? So he gets out of his car, and he's walking the line. Just then, there was a big accident on the other side of the freeway. And so the police officer says, you wait right here. I'm going to go attend to this accident. And so the man figures, man, this is my lucky day. This is like divine providence. Thank you, God. He jumps in the car. He speeds off. He drives home. He pulls into his garage, closes the garage door, goes inside the house, and tells his wife, honey, I'm not feeling so good today. So I'm going to go to bed. If anyone comes looking for me, just tell them I've been sick in bed all day long, okay? Okay. Well, about an hour later, knock on the door. It's the police officer. And she says, the wife says, can I help you? Yes. Can I talk to your husband? Oh, he's sick. He's been in bed all day long. Well, can I talk to him? So he goes back to the bedroom, walks in and says, sir, I just arrested you an hour ago on the freeway. Oh, not me. I've been in bed and sick all day long. Sir, can you please show me to your garage? Yes, sir. Walks him in the garage. As he opens the garage door, there in the garage is the police squad car with the light still flashing. <laughs> when you run out, you do some crazy things sometimes. And that's the position that these three kings are in. So let's pick up the story in verse 10. The king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So the king of Israel's first response to running out is, we're all going to die. God is totally against us. God's trying to kill us. But Jehoshaphat, I love Jehoshaphat. He said, is there no prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, 
He's here, the son of Shaphat, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, ah, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now look at Pastor Elisha's response to them. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and mother. But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha says, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely if I did not regard the presence of your friend here, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not even look at you guys or see you. Now dial in here. How many of you would agree that Elisha has some really poor pastoral care skills? Right? You know, what's going on? Why would he say this to them? Well, if you read the first eight verses of the chapter, it talks about how the king of Israel did evil in the eyes of God. Now, he did some things that were good. He, he tore down the, the pillar of Baal that his parents had built unto the false god. But he was pretty much living his life in a way that was blowing God off. And so that's why Elisha says, why are you coming to me? Why don't you go to the prophets of your mother and father? However, I love this, because there's one among you named Jehoshaphat. If it were for him, I wouldn't even look at you guys or see you. Okay, that's the story. So here's what you do. What do you do when you run out and you're thirsty? You're running on empty. Three things. Number one, you got to set your mind. Would you say that with me? Set your mind. Come on, say it loud. Set your mind. To set your mind on something means to give it your full attention, your determination, and effort. Look, our thoughts are the thing fueling our living. Our thoughts are fueling our future. We, we think our feelings fuel our living, but it's not true. It's our thoughts. Our feelings are just a result of what we've set our minds on. Paul talks about this in Romans 12. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. We have to think differently in order to live differently. I'll say it again. We must think differently in order to live differently. Let me say it this way. If you don't like your current outlook, you got to change your outlook. If you don't like your current marital outlook, you got to think differently about your marriage. If you don't like your current career outlook, you must think differently about your career. Because the way you've been thinking about your career has wound you up in the place you are today. The problem with most people is they're too stubborn to change their thinking. So they never change the way they're living. The king of Israel's immediate response to running out is to go to the worst case scenario. He went right to fear. The Lord's trying to kill us. The Lord's mad at us. He, he doesn't like us. It's kind of like the story I heard one day about, about Clyde. Old Clyde was having a hard time. His again, wife left him and kids hated him. Run out of money. Oh, God, why me? Why me? God, my wife has left me. Why me? God, I, I lost my business. Why me? God, why me? And suddenly there was a voice from heaven that cried out, I don't know, Clyde. There's just something about you that ticks me off. <laughs> now, I think that story's funny. Some of you don't, are like, well, what do you mean? Uh, that's how people view God sometimes, right? Let's be honest. For some of us, that's the extreme that we run to when we're worn out. When we're depleted, you know, the Lord is not for me. I'll never get out of this. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Nobody cares for me. We go to these extremes. Why do we do that? I'll tell you why. We have not set our minds. We just let our thinking 
roam wherever it wants to roam. Can I give you a liberating thought? I don't have to believe every thought that I think. Come on, somebody. I don't. Just because something enters my mind doesn't mean I have to own it in my mind. And some of us need to reread the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 and cast down every argument and high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and take every thought into captivity to obedience of Christ. We don't have to believe every thought that enters our mind. Well, look, if I think them, well, then they're mine. No, the Bible says there's a devil out there, and he roams around like a roaring lion, and he's seeking someone to devour. And the way he does this is by planting ideas and thoughts and fear and lies and negativity. And sometimes he will use other people to do that. I got a letter from a guy at our church. Now, my dad was a pastor for 38 years before I became the pastor. And uh, this is how he began his letter. He said, Pastor Luke, my pastor is your dad, not you. And I don't like the way you're leading this church. Your dad had one big church in one location. Now you've got nine different locations all across the state of Arizona. I don't like this new, this new vision. I don't like what, what's going on here. For two pages, he just lit me up. And i got to be honest, I read that letter probably ten times over the next couple of days. And I just kept letting it into my spirit. And finally, I picked up the phone call, phone, phone. And I called him. I said, what is with this crazy, stupid letter you wrote me, man? And he said, Pastor, i got to apologize to you. I I was having a really bad day. I didn't mean anything I wrote in that letter. For two days, I let this guy own me, you know, by something that wasn't even true. He didn't even mean it. And some of you know what I'm talking about today because you have uh, allowed a tape recorder to, to run in your mind of someone who spoke death over your life. And maybe now you're in a place in life, well, that's just true about my life. That's who I am. We live in a a cancel culture today, and I think it's stupid and ridiculous. But if you're going to cancel anything in your life, you need to cancel the lies of the enemy in your life. Come on, somebody. Give him an eviction notice. Tell him to move out. Because some of you have uh, allowed him to move in and get comfortable. Decorate a little room in your mind, you know. We need to cancel and evict him from our mind. I guess what I'm saying is this. You know, when you're tired, when you're worn out, you got to be careful what you believe. When you run out, you got to be careful what story you are telling to yourself. God's brought all three of these armies together just to kill us? Really? That's where your mind goes immediately? You've gone from a battle that you're supposed to be in, and now you're distracted. You're distracted. See, I'm convinced that Satan doesn't have to derail your life. He just has to distract your life. The enemy doesn't have to get you in some crazy sin. He just has to distract you a little bit so you take your eye off the mission and the calling and the purpose of God for your life. Isn't it interesting in this story how in the first eight verses, how, rem- how fast these three armies come together? I mean, they become one really fast. The, the, uh, the uh, king of Judah and the king of Edom, they say to the king of Israel, all we have is yours, our donkeys, our horses, our swords, our chariots, our horses. They're all yours, and we're going to come together with you. We're going to march down, and we're going to, you know, open a can of whoop donkey on the king of Moab. This is going to be great. 
And then in one verse, we're all going to die because they become distracted. And it's easy for us to go there, isn't it? It's so easy, guys. I know for, us, for me, it's so easy to get distracted. I mean, you, you go into Home Depot because you need a certain little light bulb for the fridge. But, but you look at it, and 10 minutes later, you walk out with a new smoker. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> or you go to bed at 10, 8, 10 p.m. because you want to be rested for your calling. You want to be great for work the next day, so you get good rest. And now it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you, you, you feel your, your phone buzz, and, and you pick it up, and you look, and it's a, it's a text from your friend with a link about QAnon. And now it's 3 a.m., and you're up trying to figure out if QAnon is real or not. You know what I'm talking about? It's just, just distractions. And that's what the enemy wants to do with our calling. He wants to get us distracted so that we become depleted, so we take our eyes off our real mission and calling in life. I mean, it was just a little tiff to begin with, but now you're so focused on the bitterness you, bitterness you have for that person that you can't even see God's calling on your life. It was just a little hobby to begin with, and nothing wrong with hobbies. We all need to be refreshed unless the hobby occupies so much of your time that you can no longer focus on the real calling of your life, God's dream for your life. Just little distractions. I'll say it again. The enemy doesn't want to derail you. He just wants to distract you. It's not like you're going to fall off a cliff of immorality. He just wants to get you a degree or two off mission so that six months later you wake up and say, well, how did I get here? Well, maybe you didn't set your mind, or you set your mind on the wrong thing. Well, thank God, there was a king among them named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat's first response was not, hey, we're all going to die. Jehoshaphat's response was, we got to go see the man of God. We got to go see the prophet of God, you know? And so it's a different response from the king of Israel. What I'm saying is when you're depleted, when you, when you need something that you cannot make more of yourself, they couldn't make more water. You don't need another counselor. You don't need another vacation. What you need is a, is a word from God that will, that will save you during the dryness season of your life. Jehoshaphat says, let's not panic. Let's go, go down and see the man of God because we need a word of God in this dry season. So they go down to see Pastor Elisha. And what does Pastor Elisha say? Why are you guys even here? I don't even want to talk to you guys. Oh, but because of Jehoshaphat, I'll give you a word. See, that's why you need to be right here in the community of Awakened Church. Because there's going to be times in your life when your faith needle is on empty, but you're going to have a lot of men and women around you, and their faith needle is going to be full, and they're going to help carry you through to your breakthrough. That's why you need great people around you in your life. So look what happens next. Look at verse 15. So Elisha says, I'm going to give you a word. Here it is. But first, bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Notice this. It was the playing of worship music that set an atmosphere for the word of God to come. Number one, you got to set your mind. Number two, you got to set the atmosphere, right? You all know about atmosphere. You all know what it's like to go to a really fine restaurant. At a really fine at a restaurant, they know all about atmosphere. They have something called a maitre d'. And when you walk up, the maitre d' says, Mr. Barnett, party of two, 
me. Welcome, Mr. Barnett. We are so grateful you're here tonight. They lead you to your seat. You sit down. And the waitress or waiter says, I see you're wearing dark slacks tonight, Mr. Barnett. Can I get you a dark linen napkin for your slacks? Well, yeah. That sounds pretty good. Candle lighting on the table. Mood lighting. So many utensils, you can't figure out which one to grab first. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the lighting's just perfect. It's low enough where you can see her face, but not so low that she can't see everything on your face, guys. You know what I'm talking about? Just atmosphere. The waiter comes by and says, are you ready to order, Mr. Barnett? Well, not quite yet. Don't worry about it. I'm here all night long to serve every need that you have. Atmosphere. Well, then you go to Chili's. (laughs) (laughs) Totally different atmosphere, right? I don't even need to describe the process to you because you all know about that. There's a big difference in atmosphere. Every single day, notice, we have the opportunity to set the atmosphere. What is the atmosphere like in your home? What is the atmosphere like in your car? What is the atmosphere like in your business? Do you wake up and, and wait for the atmosphere to be set for you? Oh, let's just see how the wife is doing today. Let's see how the husband's doing today. Let's see how the kids are doing, how the dog is doing. Or do you wake up and say, no, I'm going to set the atmosphere in this home today. I'm setting the dial to joy in this place. I'm setting the atmosphere to peace in this place. I'm setting the atmosphere to the promises of God in this place. Elisha says, get the musician. What was he doing? He was setting an atmosphere of worship. I want to demonstrate the power of atmosphere to you. I'm going to ask for Rigo to come and help me. He's the keyboard player here at the church. Would you just show how much you appreciate his servant attitude here? Bless you, man. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to just pick somebody out here in the crowd. I have a very encouraging word for somebody in the crowd today. I'm going to speak that, that word with no atmosphere. And then the second, second time, I'm going to do it again, same person. And Rigo is going to help build some atmosphere in this place, an atmosphere of worship. Okay? So let's just say, brother, right there, you in the black shirt, you have a cross on your shirt? Yeah, you. Would you stand up real quick? What's your name? Tyler? Kyle. Kyle, the hearing's the first to go. Sorry, brother. (laughs) I just want to say a word over your life. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon your life. And may you know that if God is for you, then who cares who's against you? And if God is on your side, whom shall you fear? May you be like a tree planted by streams of living water whose leaf will never wither. And Kyle, whatever you do in the name of Jesus is going to prosper. Is that a good word for Kyle? Kyle today? Would you remain standing? One more time, and now Rigo is going to just add just a little atmosphere. You can already sense the atmosphere changing in this place. Kyle, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. And Kyle, no matter what you do in the days to come, may you feel his blessing, his face shining upon you. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I do know that 
greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. He's for you. So set your mind on the things of God. Set your your worship every single day because God's going to speak to you in a powerful way. He's going to give you a dynamic new vision for your future. That's what God wants you to know today. Amen. Do you receive that word today, Kyle? Everybody else, you feel that today? God bless you, man. Thank you. Thank you, Rigo. Appreciate that. Um, can, you, can you see the difference in atmosphere? I want to ask you, what is the atmosphere that you're setting every single day? Because it's in the atmosphere of worship that the word of God comes. See, we have a decision, all of us, to make every day. We can be a thermostat or we can be a thermometer. Thermometers go through life and say, I'm just going to reflect everything that's around me. So if it's not peaceful around me, I'm not going to have any peace. If it's not joyful around me, I'm not going to have any joy. If there's complaining around me, I'll just join in on the complaining. But I want to tell you, friends, that we don't have to be a pawn. We don't have to be a pawn of the atmosphere. We can decide I'm going to be a thermostat. I'm going to set the dial to joy when I get up in the morning. I'm going to set the dial to peace when I get in the morning. I'm not going to let others impact me. You can be grumpy, I'm going to be happy. You can be negative, I'm going to be positive. You can be fearful, I'm going to be full of faith. I'm going to set the atmosphere every single day by declaring God's promises over my life. And every day we're setting the atmosphere. It's our responsibility to set the atmosphere. We are not to go with the crowd. We are all called, every one of us, to swim against the crowd. So when everyone else is being negative, we say, I don't go there. When everybody else is saying, well, the pandemic is so bad, we say, I'm not going to join the pandemic pity party. We need to stand up and say, we are going to be different. We're going to set the tone and the tenor and the temperature. It does not mean we stick our head in the sand. It simply just means that I'm setting my own atmosphere. Let it rain outside. I got my own sunshine following me around everywhere I go because I'm going to set the atmosphere to the promises of God in my life. Are you with me still? When you run out, you got to guard the atmosphere of your life because it's in the atmosphere of worship that the word of God comes. Last thing here. So Elisha says to these three kings, sure, I'll give you a word from the Lord. And he sets the atmosphere with worship. And this is what happens next in verse 15. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see any wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of God. I love that. I don't know what you're depleted of today, but it's a simple matter in God's eyes. And he goes on to say in this text that complete and utter victory is going to be yours. And that's what I come to proclaim to you today. Complete and utter victory in your life belongs to God. It belongs to God. So here's the last thing. Here's the last thing as the worship team comes to wrap this up. You gotta set your mind. You can't get distracted. You got to set your atmosphere, worship, and you got to set your hands. Notice what Elisha said to them. He says, I want you to make this valley full of ditches. Now think about that. When God gives you a word, get ready for the work. 
when God gives you a word, get ready for the work. God did not say, I'm going to make this valley full of trenches. He said, you guys make this valley full of trenches. When God gives you a word, like right now, get ready for the work. Because the miracles of God are always preceded by direction from God. Isn't that true? Jesus put mud in a blind man's eyes and said, now there's some work to do. Go wash off in the pool. And then he received his sight. Before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, there's some work to be done. Remove the stone first. Then he came forward. In the Old Testament, when the widow was about to starve to death, God said, go gather lots of jars, lots of jars, and there's some work to do, and then I'm going to fill them with oil. There's some work to be done. See, we often pray and say, God, would you just, would you just do it? As though he's a pixie dust kind of God, right? God, would you help me mend this relationship? And God's like, yes, I will. Dig a ditch. Pick up the phone. Call them. Tell them as much as it depends on me. I want to be at peace with you. Watch what God does through that. I don't want to do that because I might be owning responsibility. And that takes some faith. That takes stepping out of my comfort zone. I don't, I don't want to do that. God says you got to dig a ditch. Well, I need a financial breakthrough in my life. God says, good, I want to give it to you. Give. Tithe. And if you'll do that, I will rebuke the devourer in your life. I will open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing in your life. I can't contain it. You can't contain it. I don't know. That, that takes faith. That, that takes obedience. I'm not sure I want to be generous. God says, you got to dig. And I love how God says, you're not going to see any signs of this water. You're not going to see any wind. You're not going to see any rain, which means these armies had to dig these massive trenches when there was no sign or evidence that water was coming, which means, friends, we got to stay faithful to what God has called us to do, even if we can't see the miracle with our eyes. we got to keep believing for the breakthrough, even though we don't see a sign of the breakthrough. we got to keep trusting God and digging and digging and digging and digging, trusting that as we create capacity, God's going to move. Because if He says, I'll do it, it will come to pass. I remember I said earlier that Elisha has some very poor pastoral skills. I was thinking about this. Maybe this wasn't the first time that Elisha had run into these three jokers. And maybe Elisha had already given them a word in the past, and they still hadn't done the first word that he had done. And so maybe his message was, go back and do the first thing I told you. I'll give you your breakthrough in that. Then I'll give you another word, and you're going to go from glory to glory to glory to glory. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know you personally, but I want to be bold enough to say maybe the word for you today is God saying, go back and dig some ditches on that first word I gave you. And as you dig those ditches, I'm going to give you a breakthrough in that area of your life. I love you so much. God says, I want to take you from glory to glory to glory, but go back and dig those ditches. Notice, I, I love this story because... The prophet didn't ask them to do something that they couldn't do. He just said, I want you to dig some ditches. And I love what he says, make this valley full of ditches. Don't dig just one. 
dig lots of ditches. In other words, the level of your blessing today depends on how many ditches you're willing to dig. You want one trench blessing, then dig, dig just one little trench. But if you want the fullness of the blessing of God in your life, say, I'm going to dig some trenches. I'm going to dig the trench of prayer in my life. I'm going to dig the trench of worship in my life. I'm going to dig the trench of generosity and outreach and serving and making a difference. I want to dig and dig and dig and prepare for the blessings of God. And look what happened in verse 20. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Isn't that a great story? And look, our great God does not have a problem with supply. Whatever you're depleted in, He has more than enough. Can you say amen to that? The issue is not God's supply. The issue is, do you have the capacity to hold the supply He's wanting to send to you? Because the amount of water they received was based on their capacity. And their capacity was based on how many ditches they were willing to dig. Back in 2013, I became the pastor of what was then Phoenix First Assembly, now Dream City Church. We had to change our name because so many campuses were opening up. And during that time, I really didn't have a vision for the future of our church. So I went on the side of our mountain for 40 straight days. I went on a Daniel fast. I ate nothing but bird seeds and twigs and leaves for 40 days. But I wanted God's dream for our future more than I wanted food. On the side of that mountain, he began to speak to me about how our church was not going to be just one big location. That was my dad's dream, but how we were going to cast our web of love across the whole state of Arizona and open campuses in every city of significance across the state. We're going to impact the state of Arizona. We've been saying now that we want Arizona one day to be known as a Christian state. Come on, somebody. Now. Some of you would say, well, look, that's kind of a pipe dream, Lou. Well, 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 the states are known for stuff. Utah's known for Mormonism, right? Why can't there be one state in the United States that's known for those crazy people who love Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? We're going for it. We're going for it. I told our staff, I said, I want them to write on my tombstone one day, at least he tried. Amen. We're going for it. But one of the dreams he showed me on the mountain that day, back in 2013, was we were going to be debt-free by the year 2023, which, by the way, is our 100th year anniversary as a church, 100 years. We were going to be debt-free. So we started digging over the years. We bought a new campus in Scottsdale, about a $5 million project, and started a great faith movement there. Then we bought a, the largest Lutheran church in America at one time, Pastor Walt Kallistad, Community Church of Joy. We bought that 70-acre campus out there. And, and then we bought a campus up in the Colorado City that you, you helped support up there, rescuing ladies from polygamy. And then we bought a dream center helping people recover from the inner city downtown. We're just, just digging and digging and digging and digging. And now I want to report to you where we're at we started at $13 million back in 2013, and now today in 2021, are you ready for this? We now owe, drum roll, $21.5 million. Wait, we're going the wrong way here. God, you told me that we're going to be debt-free by the year 2023. I don't see any rain. I don't see any clouds. I don't see any sign that this could ever come to pass. Well, two months ago, 
Lennar Homes, one of the largest home builders in America, came to us and said, you have 19 acres on the back of that Glendale campus that you bought, that Lutheran church we bought, and we'd like to buy those 19 acres. I thought, man, if we can get a couple hundred thousand dollars an acre, this would be wonderful. You know, at least we have some seed money to go to our church and say, let's pay this thing off. Well, they came back to us and they said, we want to offer you, and by the way, it's an escrow right now, $21.5 million for those 19 acres. We've been digging and we've been digging and we've been digging and we've been digging. And God says, you're not going to see any rain or wind, but I'm going to fill it supernaturally. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and thank God for what he's done. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's all stand to our feet. Pastor Matt's coming forward in just a moment. But I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. The message today has been so simple that a four-year-old can understand it. Right? What do you do when you run out? You got to set your mind. Never forget, friends, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. You're, you're in a battle. So we need to set our mind on the things that really matter. Number two, you got to set your atmosphere. Every single day, set the atmosphere to worship. Let God speak to you. Let him direct your life. He wants to lead your life. If you'd let him, set the atmosphere. Number three, set your hands. You got to start digging and digging and digging, and the God of more than enough will fill those trenches. And if you'll do those three things, it'll change your whole outlook on life. You then can set your expectation. You can live your life with a sense of great expectation, knowing that you set your mind, you set your atmosphere, and you've been digging, and you can look for the answer to prayer. You'll expect it because you've done what God's asked you to do. So all across this place, just before Pastor Matt comes and wraps it up, I want to pray for everyone in this place who would first say, Pastor Luke, I need to, I need to set my mind. I, I've gotten distracted by the things of this world. Maybe I've forgotten I've been a, I'm in a battle that my life is not my own. It's, it's Christ. And I just need to set my mind once again. I want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand all across this place? I need to reset my mind. Yeah, thank God. All across this place. I want to reset my mind. How many would say, you know, I haven't been doing the best job studying the atmosphere in my life. I'm going to do what Pastor Matt said. I'm going to, I'm going to download that new song, Breakthrough, the whole album. I'm going to set the atmosphere on the way to work. I'm going to set the atmosphere at my work so I can hear the Word of God. How many would say, I need to set the atmosphere of my life? Raise your hand real high. Come on, all across this place, I want to pray for you. This is your moment. The Word of God has gone out right now. The Word has gone out. Make it your Word today. How many would say, I need to start digging some trenches. I want the fullness of God's blessing in my life, but I just I don't have any capacity. I need to dig, dig some ditches in my life. Come on, raise your hand all across this place. That, that should be all of us in this place. All of us who want the blessings of God. So, Father, I pray for every person in this place today. I thank you for what you're doing here at Awaken Church. I thank you for the revival that they are experiencing in this place. I thank you, Lord, that it's not just the church, but it's individuals in this place who are being blessed and they're experiencing your presence and your revival in their heart, Lord. But you want to do more. You want to do more. And so, Father, I pray for those today who need to set their mind on the things of God. Lord, we just pray today there would be a new awareness. 
Counselor, a new quickening in their spirit when they wake up. I'm going to set my mind on the things of God today. And Father, I pray for those in this place who, who maybe need to set the atmosphere of their lives so they can hear the voice of God and the leadings and promptings of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray today there be a new awareness in them to set that atmosphere every day. And Father, I pray this will be a season in this church where people would dig and dig and dig trenches, believing for a great move of God, believing, Lord, for the answer to their prayer, believing for lost sons and daughters to come home, believing for financial breakthrough in their business. We're going to dig and dig and dig and gather as many jars as we possibly can and believe and expect that the harvest is coming. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Thank you for this great church, awakened church, that's truly inspiring America. We love you, Lord. We just receive this word today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.